All right. Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And this show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making people healthier in this world. I am really enthused, really excited to have Dr. Esteban Lopez on the show today. So Dr. Esteban Lopez is the Chief Medical Officer over Clinical Strategy and Innovation at Healthcare Service Corporation, otherwise known as HCSC, a big Blue Cross Blue Shield organization that spans multiple states. Uh, Esteban is at the core and center of the clinical strategy and innovation efforts. Um, he's a chief medical officer over there, as I mentioned, but I'm not going to steal his thunder. Uh, Dr. Lopez, welcome to the show. Anthony, thank you so much for having me on today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for making making time to do this, to share your and health. And I, I know you have a lot to say about the topic. I know we've done done a you know initial call and so, but I'm not going to take the interview here. I'm just really excited to have you on. Um, obviously, before we get started uh, into what you're working on today and what has your passions today, I'd love to hear about your background and story. Maybe you can take us back and tell us a little bit about the series of events that you've gone through over your life that have led you to become the person you are today. Sure. Well, you know, I'm, I'm excited to be able to share my story and share my passion for healthcare. I'm originally from Los Angeles, born and raised in, in the LA area. My parents are immigrants from Mexico with a very limited education. Uh, my mom doesn't even have a first grade education. My dad has an eighth grade education and I'm the youngest of six kids. Mm. And uh, there are three boys and three girls. And my two older brothers that are 13 and 12 years older than me, uh, were interested in, in healthcare. Uh, one is a neurologist, the other one is a dentist. And as a little brother, you, my my big brother was was starting uh, pre med at UCLA, and I was starting kindergarten. So I think initially the desire to be a physician was was inspired by my siblings wanting to be like my big brothers. But over time, that became uh, more mine, and learned a lot of things from my family, especially my mom and dad, which is a very strong work ethic and to be passionate about what you do and whatever you do, do it well. Um, and over the years, you know, my, my path was one to, to, you know, graduate high school, go on to the University of California at Santa Cruz, not far from where you live there in San Francisco. Uh, I'm a fighting banana slug. And then went off to Michigan State uh, to, to go to medical school. But, you know, it wasn't kind of easy sailing. Um, at 19, I started a family unplanned. My oldest daughter is now 26. So at 20 years old, uh, I was an undergrad at UCSC, married with, uh, with uh, a newborn, and then had two more children in medical school. So graduated medical school with three kids. Started my residency in Houston and uh, did a double residency in internal medicine and pediatrics and then moved to San Antonio, where I currently live. Uh, I was a National Health Service Corps scholar. I worked in an underserved community on the west side of town uh, doing primary care. And then along the way, I, I got an MBA um, with a focus on medical management, a, a program out of uh, UT Southwestern, UT Dallas. And the idea was really to have a voice at the table in healthcare as a physician leader. Um, never thought I would work for an insurance company, but here I am, uh, six and a half years later and, and loving what I do. I love it. I love it. Uh, Esteban, I, I'd love to hear a little bit about 
Um, so really, so first of all, Uh, the focus and passion that, you know, being able to overcome, you know, where, where you've been and, and, and to be as accomplished as you are for and blazing a trail, you know, at HCSC. And so it's really exciting to see the, the path that you've took, you've took and, and all the different dimensions that you're focused on in health and healthcare management. But um, yeah, I would love to hear about what your focus is today, or maybe like what, what topics in health have your fixation the most, you know, what are you most uh, obsessed with in health and has your, what are you most excited about today? Well, I'll kind of walk you back a little bit. So um, sure. I mentioned that I never thought I would work for an insurance company, but I worked mm-hmm. for Kesson Health Solutions for about six and a half years, mm-hmm. disease management for the Medicaid population. So a big passion of mine both as a, as a primary care physician who worked in an underserved area and as uh, someone who was a National Health Service Corps scholar and someone who worked for uh, doing disease management with the Medicaid population, clearly my passion is uh, the underserved and marginalized folks in healthcare. Mm-hmm. You know, interestingly enough, I came into uh, initially Blue Cross Blue Shield of Texas and just for, for your listeners, uh, Healthcare mm-hmm. Service Corporation is the parent company for five Blues plans. Blues mm-hmm. Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Illinois, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas, Blue Cross and Blue Shield of New Mexico, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Oklahoma, and Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Montana. So mm-hmm. I came in as the market president for Southwest Texas, uh, uh, running it here out of San Antonio, and Southwest Texas is about a third of the state, essentially the size of New England. Didn't have any clinical responsibilities, but I kind of continued to see a theme uh, in terms of the patient population that I still see. I, I'm still a practicing physician. I practice in the emergency department. As a matter of fact, I, uh, I have an ER shift this Sunday. Um, and the, the theme was uh, health equity. I mean, the, the fact that uh, health inequities occur in the healthcare system lead to not only uh, bad healthcare outcomes for individuals, but increased costs within the system. And what I didn't learn in medical school or residency was actually those terms. The, the, the fact I could identify the fact that some of my more marginalized populations or, or uh, low socioeconomic populations had different health outcomes, mm-hmm. but the concept of health equity and health inequities and health equity being defined as the opportunity for everyone to have uh, or achieve their highest level of health. Mm-hmm. Well, that's really not taught, uh, at least when I went to medical school and residency. So I, I started learning a lot about that and understanding some of uh, uh, the, the, the policies that have influenced the health inequities in the United States and understanding that certain populations, especially uh, when we look at African-Americans or we look at folks with serious mental health disorder, that they can oftentimes live uh, 20 years less than the general population just because they have a particular diagnosis, but having nothing to do with that. Mm-hmm. And that kind of just blew my mind. Right. In 2016, I was lucky enough to do a, a TEDx talk here in San Antonio to, to talk about health equity. And that's really been a passion of of what I've done over the last uh, six years, first as the market president, then I was the chief medical officer for Texas, and now in my role at Healthcare Service Corporation, because 
if we can address the, the social determinants of health that are affecting our members, mm-hmm. and we're not going to solve all the social issues that occur in the United States, then we can start positively impacting their health outcomes and de- decreasing mm-hmm. the cost of the system. I love it. I love it. Well, you know, I really appreciate your focus in the area. And, you know, it's great to see like such a large carrier, you know, payer blue plan is really focused in the area and that, that, that you have this passion for health, health equity and, and the intersection of social determinants of health. I'd love to hear a little bit about maybe, you know, health equity programs in action or social determinants of health in action, whether it's from a payer perspective or your own personal thoughts on some things that you're seeing out in the market, you know, maybe you could take us through some tactical programs that um, are currently in process or be implemented. Um, Just so, you know, a lot of our listeners are just always trying to really figure out, like we have a lot of listeners that payers and providers, you know, what should, how should people be thinking about this area? What should they be doing? What are some projects and programs, you know, to put in place? Well, I, as I think of some of the uh, the issues that stand out, uh, if we think about black women and birth outcomes, mm-hmm. that black women have uh, a higher incidence of negative birth outcomes, either be it with regards to maternal mortality or infant mortality, things mm-hmm. like uh, uh, preterm infancy or intrauterine growth retardation, which means that you know baby is small for their age. Um, uh, there's a variety of different things that occur. And what we think of in the system is, you know, initially we thought, well, it was genetically related or that it had something to do with how uh, mom was taking care of herself during uh, um, her pregnancy. Mm-hmm. What we saw is if you look at African women or Caribbean women that are black that come to the United States, their birth outcomes are pretty much equal to the white population. But mm-hmm. in one generation, their daughter's birth outcomes are equal to the overall African-American population or black population in the United States, uh, which they have worse birth outcomes than their mothers did. So there's something about being black Mm. in the United States in terms of that social milieu that lead to negative birth outcomes, not to genetics. And so when you think about that, so if you think about the leading public health hypothesis of what that is, it has to do with racism, either overt racism, implicit bias, or just the stress of being black in the United States and the potential effects of racism. And that stress causes real negative outcomes uh, for for moms. You know, Mm -hmm. their blood pressure increases their cortisol levels. Um, Cortisol is is a hormone released during labor can cause uh, uh, preterm labor, also can cause vasoconstriction of the placenta, leading to intrauterine growth retardation, things to that effect. There's a whole cascade effect. Well, how do you solve that? You know, a health plan isn't going to solve the issue of racism in the United States, and an individual provider is not going to solve that as well. Mm -hmm. So we have to think of uh, different tactics for different populations and how we take that to scale. So there's been some very interesting work in terms of uh, support groups for black women while while they're pregnant and where they can, you know, de-stress. You can start helping them with uh, jobs if they need it or 
any types of things that are affecting their life. And what we've seen is that in those, those women that are getting support groups, uh, you have better birth outcomes. Again, mm-hmm. how do you do support groups at scale or how does a health plan do that? So we're thinking of interesting ways of being able to do something similar, which the whole idea is to de-stress uh, uh, these women and to be able to provide them the services that they need in order to have an, a healthy pregnancy for themselves. And mm-hmm. for so there's a, a variety of different uh, uh, tactics that either health plans or individual providers or communities can have because at the end of the day, health equity is actually positive for communities and it's positive for communities' bottom line as well. So it actually mm-hmm. has positive financial benefits for the community at large because the health of your neighbor affects your pocketbook. Right. Right. No, I, I, I love it. I mean, this is a great example and I, I, I think it definitely is, you know, super powerful to be thinking about these, these issues in, in all these different dynamic ways. Um, I, I'm intrigued to learn more. Are, are there, are there other, what are some other examples, I guess? Um, you know, um, so this is a really interesting demographic, really interesting focus. What uh, are any other programs when it comes to health equity or social determinants of health that you think that, you know, our listeners should, should start thinking about a little bit more? Well, the, the idea is to, when I think about healthcare management, uh, I think about managing not just the population of folks, but mm-hmm. really getting down to an N of one, right? Right, right. What does Anthony need? You know, right. What does someone like Anthony need? But right. specifically, what does Anthony need? What kind of house does he live in? Does he have claims that might indicate that he has some type of, some type of disability? Are we addressing those issues? So at the what's what's really the most valuable thing that health plans have today, it's not their network and it's not how they adjudicate claims and it's not even their healthcare management. It's the data that they have, which brings the value to that organization and being able to harness that data uh, in order to make it actionable, consumable. And at the end of the day, improve the outcomes for the individual member so Mm -hmm. that our nurses reach out to you, we know about you, we know what some of your social determinants are, we can help you close those gaps, we can address those issues so that um, your overall outcome is is better and we know what way to, to reach out to you. Is it by phone? Is it by text message? Is it by email? Is it by regular US mail? But understanding you as an individual and how to be able to make sure we're able to help guide you and, and work with your provider to, to get you healthier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Yeah, no, and, and I, I'm writing this down. N of one is such a powerful statement. Um, if you have a trademark on that, please let me know. But it's, uh, it's, it's super powerful. Yeah. And, and, you know, I guess the opportunity and possibilities of doing this at scale and this personalization is, is in front of us. And, you know, it just needs to be collated um, process technology wise around the person. But it's also really fascinating to see that, you know, you, you need leaders like you that, that, uh, understand these different dimensions and understand the different dynamics of different patients to be able to put processes and programs and projects, uh, in place 
Esteban, I'd, I'd love to hear a little bit more on, so obviously all of these pieces shape up as a great foundation for the future. Can you, can you take me through your version of health in the future? What does the future of health look like to you? What do you see happening? Um, you know, obviously I'd just love to hear that optimistic version of the future that, you know, we're marching towards. Well, I think that the future is, is going to be better for individuals in terms of their overall health than it is today. So today, obviously, we're, we're seeing a variety of different breakthroughs in terms of treatment outcomes, and those changes are occurring very rapidly. Diseases that had a 75% uh, mortality rate before now have a 75% uh, survival rate. Um, it's going to be a lot about personalization and personalized medicine. So understanding your genetics and, and how we end up uh, 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 designing a treatment program that is specific to you, back to that N of one. Mm -hmm. But the, the fear that I have is the cost associated with that. Um, what we've seen in the healthcare system is really kind of, uh, especially in terms of pharmaceuticals, some very, very expensive treatment regimens uh, that most people uh, uh, could not afford. And, you know, we're seeing it started off with hepatitis C treatments where it was $100,000 a year. Now $100,000 is, is cheap in comparison. We're seeing one, $2 million treatments per year of one medication. Um, and uh, so for some very obscure diseases and some uh, uh, personalized type of treatments, I think we're going to have to get a handle uh, in terms of the overall cost of healthcare to make sure that it's affordable for everyone. Right. But, uh, I also see that uh, uh, more and more we're going to uh, insert ourselves in the communities that we serve and right. make sure we understand those communities. So it's not just about, uh, again, uh, selling insurance and, and providing a network and, and processing claims. It's about going deeper with our communities, going deeper with our providers and going deeper with our members to, to be able to harness that data uh, that's out there that we have to understand them better um, so that we're anticipating diseases before they happen. We can have better prevention uh, where there's going to be more treatment at home. Uh, there's going to be obviously a lot more technology, but that individual relationship with the provider is not going to change. You're mm -hmm. still going to need a doctor who's going to be there holding your hand uh, when you're sick uh, or who is going to see you in an emergency department or who's going to take care of your baby when they're born. Um, uh, I, I see that relationship strengthening over time. But right now we're kind of in a transition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's exciting. Um, it's, it's exciting this vision you're, you're citing and, 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 you know, I see ourselves marching towards it and it's really it's such a massive opportunity of possibilities that are in front of us right now. And, and, you know, to merge these programs and projects that you're talking about and these focuses. Um, Esteban, let me ask you, I guess, um, you know, well, promises is my last question. Um, you know, you've been in health for a while. You, you've seen a lot, you, you've done a lot, you're doing a lot, you're leading the charge in a lot of different health programs. I'm curious as to maybe on a weekly basis, daily basis, monthly basis. I know a little bit before sh this show, we were talking about uh, family vacations, but I guess on personal health habits, personal well-being, 
what are some things that you believe in or what are some things that you do on a daily or weekly basis to keep the engine going from a health and well-being perspective? That's a great question. So I am an individual that's motivated by goals. So I'm mm-hmm. goal-oriented. So last year, uh, my best friend and I, we did 15 half marathons in the calendar year. Oh, wow. We did that because we wanted it to, we did 15 of the rock and roll series half marathons because we wanted to be rock and roll hall of famers. Mm. Uh, and so 15 halves or fulls, you become a rock and roll hall of famer. Um, this year I'm training for triathlons and I'm training with a coach that's, you know, this morning I got up at 4.30 in the morning, uh, went to the pool, swam, came home and been doing some work. Um, and so I know me, I know what I need to motivate me to get out of bed Mm-hmm. Uh, get me to the gym. If I don't have a goal, if I don't have the motivation, it it sometimes won't be enough for me just to do it. I think right. every individual has to realize what motivates them, what are the habits that work for them, and, and start replicating those habits. Obviously, things in moderation, so cutting back processed foods, cutting back refined uh, uh, sugars, cutting back a lot of carbohydrates, um, especially processed carbohydrates is important, um, but getting into a rhythm that works for you. If you're someone that likes to work out in the morning, I'm someone who likes to work out in the morning, then do it. Um, if you're someone who likes to work out in the evening and that works for you, then do that. But mm-hmm. find a pattern that works for you or find your own motivations and then find a buddy to do it with if, if that's possible because you're then accountable to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's never too late. And if you fall off the wagon, just get back on. Amen. Amen. Now, Esteban, this is great. I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, definitely kudos to, to you and your wife for, for the active lifestyle that you have and practicing what you preach. I think that means a lot. You know, it's, it's always great. Uh, I know the best doctor visits that I've always had is when the doctor, you know, exudes and resonates health you just listen to what they're saying, right? A little bit more, right? You're attuned to it. Um, and so it's great that you're leading the charge from a personal perspective that your, your outward is, is absolutely a reflection radiance of your inward. And so really, really appreciate that Esteban. Um, well, my, my guess, husband actually joined me for a couple of the half marathons last year. Um, but, uh, he didn't do all 15, but he, he was definitely a champion and very supportive. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, uh, so this is great. Esteban. Well, what I wanted to say is a couple things. Thank you for sharing your, your, your story with us and for making time to, to do this. Uh, thank you for sharing what you're focused on today and what has your fixation in health. And it's exciting to hear your passion for this area coupled with not just all your education and all your experiences, but the timing of it is really interesting, right? It's coming to a head, the, the ability to implement health equity and a focus on social determinants of health in a, in a time in our hear, uh, history, right? In health that it's it's never been more profound to make an impact and for your your future of health, right? And so what you're doing and how it shapes up to, to the future and, and uh, you know, how you keep your own engine going was really exciting to hear and really rewarding for me. I always, I always take a little bit uh, from these uh, podcast episodes and I try and integrate them into to my life and to try them out. Um, and my, I promise my last question is about contacting you. If our listeners would like to reach out to you directly, what would be a good way to do so? Well, they can definitely follow me on Twitter and that my uh, handle is uh, 
DR Dr. Esteban Lopez. So DR Esteban Lopez, uh, no period. Uh, they can follow me. They can direct uh, uh, message me there. Um, and then if they're interested in emailing me, uh, my email is Esteban underscore Lopez at bcbstx.com. Uh, that's Esteban underscore Lopez at bcbstx.com, like Blue Cross Blue Shield of Texas.com. Uh, those are probably the best ways to reach out to me. Uh, and I'm very interested in mentoring other folks that are interested in healthcare, uh, specifically uh, underrepresented populations. You know, we, we have a long way to go to get to parity of having uh, physicians of color. Um, so I, you can't be what you don't see. And, mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, I'm just a poor kid from L.A. from an immigrant family. But uh, somehow we were able to, to uh, make our way and make our path into healthcare. And I'd love to be able to help others do that as well. I love it. I love it. Now, Esteban, thank you so much. Yeah, I really appreciate your Ascension story here and, um, you know, your leadership and your ability to, to, to and desire to mentor others and bring one up. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. The health equity side, the parity side, um, I'm right there with you. And that's why we that's why we do this as well. Obviously, we, you know, we want we want uh, equality. We want um you know, health is for everyone. And so really appreciate your leadership and uh, most importantly for being on the show. This was, this was great, Esteban. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anthony. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks.